I'm Andrew Mihaljevic, and I interview comedians, improvisers, and other compulsive liars about things they know nothing about. This is Instant Expert. We've got a very interesting guest. We've got a historian who is an expert on World War One. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, my name is uh, Gert Myrtle. Uh, Gert Myrtle, that's correct. Gert, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. It is an absolute pleasure to be here, Andrew. So, tell us a little bit about what was the the spark that lit off this this war here. Well, it's interesting that you should put it that way, because it was a little spark, actually. Um, you see, in 1814, actually, most people don't know that the uh, the story of World War One starts um, a little, you know, around, around about 100 years before uh, the actual war uh, occurred. Oh. Um, it was a spark. You see, uh, the Queen, uh, Queen Marie France of France... Um, of course. Yes, yes. In fact, that's a story for another time. But um, uh, Queen Marie of France, uh, Queen Marie France of France, um, was having some trouble uh, getting into bed with her husband. If you if you catch if you catch my drift. Ah, little uh, marital issues. Um, no, she was she was literally just having trouble getting into bed. Oh. Uh, because back then they, they sewed the bed sheets to the bed. So there was literally no way to get into the bed. This was, of course, a precaution to make sure that no one was having sexual intercourse with one another back then. So they didn't sleep in beds. They actually slept on wooden boards. And so oh my. she was having trouble getting into bed. And since there were no... Uh, there's no record of, of anyone of that time having any sort of blade or sharp instrument. So um, what Queen Marie France decided to do, since she was a bit inbred, um, so uh, it wasn't the smartest individual, uh, most royalty wasn't at the time, um, she lit a match, and that spark started the, uh, the bed ablaze. And eventually burned down the entire castle. Oh now, there was a German uh, messenger, uh, uh, courier, as it were, um, in, in the castle at the time. And when the castle burned down, uh, the king at that time swore his revenge on France for uh, causing the death of his courier. And uh, so... The, the, the king of Germany, the king once news has had reach Germany that his courier had been killed in this blaze, uh, he, he swore revenge. Correct. And it took a while for that inf information to, to arrive to the king of Germany because <laughs> he didn't have a courier. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it's quite a funny story if you, if you, uh, if you just don't think about the, uh, the death and destruction. But um, uh, so, so he vowed revenge. And of course, he uh, died of, of, of yellow fever uh, six months later, as did most everyone in that time uh, at a very early age. Uh, disease was rampant, and and yes. and uh, it just wasn't a very it wasn't m much of a time of science at the time. So it took it took a while, 
but um, after after about um, fourteen generations of of monarchy in Germany, uh, the uh, the brains had developed well enough for uh, the king uh, King Kaiser Wilhelm to actually carry out the uh, the decree of his fourteenth uh, generation ancestor to start war with France. So this is a grudge that had been held for for many generations, 14. Oh my, yes. And 14 generations, I don't know if that is uh, strictly common. But as I told you, uh, monarchy at that time was was uh, a bit inbred. And so they didn't live very long. Uh, uh, you know, they'd live to be about uh, 14 to, to 16 years old. So these were, these were teenagers who were... In, involved in these these great feuds uh, with with other nations, they held so much power. Yes, well, if you could imagine teenagers running our nation, what sort of uh, silly things would be happening? We'd be it, uh, uh, I don't know what what teenagers like these days, but you know, I, I'm sure it'd be qu- quite humorous affair. I, I, I can't imagine I can't imagine very many things would get done. I'd imagine we'd have. Many more problems than we do now. Yes, which yes, w- it would be, it would be, uh, it would be chaos. Yes. So, so that's a bit about uh, the early history of World War One, and uh, you know, like you said, it it did start with a spark. <laughs> so, so incredible, yeah. incredible. Yes. It's, it's a remarkable story. So, once this war kicked off between Germany and France, where where did they meet? Uh, well, they met at the border of. Uh, Germany and France, which at oh. the time was called Fremony. 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 It was. It was where. See, they didn't have borders back then. You'd think they they would just create very specific lines where one country started and another ended. That's that's certainly been my my understanding of it. Well, it's amazing what they don't teach you in school these days. Uh, from our academic records, we were able to assert that. Every country had uh, not a direct dividing line, but instead just sort of a, a gray area where things just kind of mashed together. So, mm. so if you can imagine, you know, France and Germany was Fremony, and, and Britain and Ireland was Briarland, and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and, of course. And, you know, uh, um, um, Ukraine and Russia was Ukrussia. You crush her. See, this yes, is, this is yes, fascinating. That's, that's where the uh, that's where the old joke comes from. I don't know if you've heard the old adage. A Ukrushan uh, uh, waiter comes to some people and says, uh, "Would you like some some pepper on your on your salad?" And and the person says, "Yes," and he says, "Okay, well, you crush her it yourself." <laughs> <laughs> What a, what a oh. splendid laugh, eh? Oh, Gert. Oh, we... <laughs> sorry, oh. sorry for the blue humor, but I couldn't help myself. <laughs> oh. oh, no, no, we, uh... We're, we're quite okay with it here. <laughs> okay, this, this laughter, Engineer Christian, we... We might have, we might have to, we might have to edit this out. This is, uh... <laughs> okay. Mm, I do oh. enjoy a good laugh. <laughs> oh. oh. So... So they met at at um, at uh, Fremony at the uh, at in the, the the muddy territory that the, the that no was man's known. land uh, essentially yes but um, it actually was man's land um, it was oh. it was the Fremens 
The Furman's the land. I mean, that was their land, yes. Oh, oh okay. Uh, yes, okay. I, okay, I understand now. And, and so uh, they met, and there was an agreement. They said, we shall go to war. And uh, so they took a two-week recess uh, to, uh, to design the war. Oh, so there was, there was planning that went into this. Because my, my picture of war is, is, is spontaneous, almost. Uh, you, you, there's elements of surprise. You fight where, where you're able to. And so I, it's, it's surprising that there, there was a design be behind this. Please elaborate. Well, yes, you know, it's quite interesting. I think war can seem like it's a... Um, a situation where um, two opposing sides immediately start fighting and fighting in every way they can. Um, but, um, you know, uh, in this time, uh, 1904, um, during this time, there was a great deal of respect in organization. Mm. Um, it was a... Only gentlemen fought wars. Mm. War was a gentleman's game, uh, much like a duel. Um, so, you know, the... Well, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Um, war was for the upper class. The lower cl class never fought wars. They were not allowed. Oh. I... I... <laughs> War was for the upper class. The the lower class never fought wars. It it was not allowed. The so they they the lower class. It's very interesting because it's it's not like it is today, where where we take uh, the lower class and just and just send them out to bloody deaths, uh, where they die and 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 are just forgotten unless their names are carved on a wall. But you know. Yes, because that's that's been my perception of of war today is that we we send we send uh, young usually blue blue collar people to to go fight for our country. Um, so as as this as these gentlemen were fighting in the battlefields, what what were the lower class doing? Well, I'm not sure because there was nothing really written about the lower class. I don't know if you if you're familiar with how lo being lower class works. Um, people don't really what? care what you're doing, so so no one really oh, wrote that yeah. down. Unfortunately, we've been searching for text for some time to see if we can find some sort of indication of what the lower class was doing. But uh, what our records are starting to reveal is that there was no such thing as the lower class. Everyone was upper class. Everyone was upper class. Indeed, it is. It is a shock, and uh, and most of the historian uh, community has been divided on this for some time. But r recently, um, some evidence has has come out, uh, thanks to uh, um, Sir Dudley Furfurder, who um, who was the first to introduce this concept that um, that. What history tells us is that there was no such thing as lower class. Everyone was equal, um, you know, except for, of course, um, uh, the blacks and the Jews and the homosexuals and uh, and Arabs and uh, anyone who pretty much wasn't white and um, and and a male. So it seems, in some ways, white people had it pretty good, but 
in terms of having to go to war, maybe they were the ones that got the raw deal. Yes, but like I said, it was a gentleman's game. So it was still uh, considered a noble thing to do, and uh, those in the lower class uh, uh, didn't do it. Of course, there was no lower there class. Was no lower, there was no lower class. It's amazing how um, history, unlike anything else, doesn't seem to really make much sense, now does it? No, it's, it's, this, it's this great en enigma, it's and it's why I find it so fascinating. It's a bit baffling, and, and I, my, I share those sentiments, and that's why I got uh, into being a historian in the first place, because of all the, all the amazing contradictory mysteries that, uh, that s seem to uh, fall before us when we, when we pore over um, the text that, um, uh, you know, as it, as it was written about the times before ours. Indeed. So this this brings me to my next question. What what were these battles like? My my perception of war is gritty and and frightful. But as I understand from you, there were there were these gentlemen. So take take me through take me through what a typical battle would be like. What weaponry was used, what terrain they fought on. Well, it varies because it depends on what region of uh, what countries you're looking at. And I, I'd imagine that due to the enigmatic nature of history, um, that it's not quite clear. So what, 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 what would a historian's best guess as to well, how these <coughs> battles transpired. Well, most of the fossil records that we can find um, contain feathers. A mm. uh, lot of feathers have been unearthed in uh, uh, Germany and France and and Germany, or you know what what once was Germany. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, where was I? Um, fossil <coughs> records. The, the fossil records. Yes, the fossil records uh, that we have uh, uh, um, obtained show a lot of a lot of feathers. Um, so this feathers. what 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 we have learned to deduce from this is that um, most of war was uh, was fought with pillows. Um, pillow fights <laughs> seem to be the main uh, kind of battle that was done during World War One. Incredible. Indeed, it is. It is a remarkable discovery, and we're we're only scratching the surface of that discovery. But the amount of fossil records uh, showing uh, showing feathers, uh, down feathers, that which would come from a, a comforter or or a, some sort of a duvet uh, or, or a duvet, yes. <laughs> Indicate. That, because we're finding them in all the battle zones that we know that have been written about. Every battle zone that you go, you find human skeletons and down feathers. So, the, since human skeletons were found, th these were lethal pillow fights. Well, no. Uh, the, the only respectable thing to do was to fight in graveyards. So that's what they did. There was never actually any casualties in World War One, despite what you may have heard. Uh, it's just the uh, the coincidence of the fact that these battles were fought on on nothing but 
graveyards. So those were those bodies were already uh, those were already deceased carcasses. What yeah. what could be the advantage of this? Because this is kind of baffling to me. What could be the advantage of fighting in a graveyard? Well, in case ghosts show up, you know, to scare away the s- the other soldiers. Uh, sometimes it was used to the advantage. Napoleon actually was famous for uh, for having his soldiers dress up like ghosts and and chase the enemy away. And that is how uh, uh, Napoleon ceded control of France. That's... Uh, ghost warfare is something that I'd never considered. It's... I... Yes, it's where the uh, it's where the name Ghost Recon comes from for the new uh, Tom Clancy game, correct? <laughs> uh, which is fantastic, by the way. It is a fantastic game and um, quite historically accurate, I must admit. And um, so, ghosts were often used for reconnaissance. Yes, in in in, in so many words, yes. Um, there was a an intricate prance. You know, like a dance or okay, something a, of the a, sort. A prance. A prance, yes. Oh. Uh, that would be that would initiate battle. Um, this was a, a ceremonious thing that the uh, that only the lieutenants would would engage. It was a delicate prance, typically with a kerchief or some kind of white <laughs> glove of some sort, to initiate the warfare of of pillows. And you can imagine, actually, having. Pillows and bedsheets uh, during a battle makes it very easy to uh, to deploy a ghost-like costume. Well, I the the picture that I'm getting here is is you have a, a squadron of of gentlemen soldiers capering about in bedsheets, initiating with with pillows. As the, the to initiate this war, I, I I couldn't imagine seeing something like that. That's uh, th- that must have been a, a sight to behold. Well, actually, there are many cave drawings in in the southern of France and in Germany and in 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 what was once Germany uh, that depict this sort of thing of of gentlemen capering around with pillows and bedsheets, um, fighting in uh, jolly array, and um, you know, it's it's quite fascinating. It's actually some of the most moving art you'll see. You know, um, I'd, I'd love to see it. Someday. Yes, I'm of the pretentious variety of people that finds cave drawings to be um, high art. You know, I, I pay uh, a pretty penny, but I am an academic, so you could understand why I would have such a, a frilly appetite for certain culture. I can I can understand completely. Um, I I I'd, I'd, I'd imagine. Just seeing these these images in these caves would be would be fascinating. It's moving, quite moving. Yes. Um, and so, who who was it behind uh, creating these images? Were were d- did the gentlemen soldiers themselves? Um, well, when Kaiser Wilhelm won the war, which he did. This this is this is something I'm I, I'd like to get into, but 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 please continue. When he won the war over France. He had his men parade into the caves and and design the uh, the monument to their victory. So that's where these cave drawings come from. They were commissioned 
by Sir Kaiser Wilhelm himself. Fascinating. Sir and Kaiser Wilhelm himself. We're, we're coming to the end of our show, and so I'd like to, I'd like to uh, wrap it up with one very important question. What was it that brought an end to this war? Oh, well, France is a bunch of pussies, so they surrendered. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Gert. I, uh, this has been enlightening. Uh, I'm so glad to have you on the show. Um, it it was a true delight for me as well, Andrew. <laughs> great, great. We'd love to have you back sometime. Certainly, certainly. <clears throat> All right, that's the end of our show. This has been Instant Expert. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Instant Expert. This podcast is part of the Bare Knuckle Comedy Podcast Network, so check out some of our other podcasts. There's I'm the Other Guy, where I, Christian Lawrence, talk to up-and-coming comedians about times they had a one-to-one off-stage experience with the greats of comedy. Check out Justin Needs a Ride. Comedian Justin Luke doesn't have a car, so we might as well interview the other comics who cart him around to shows. And of course, there's Bare Knuckle Comedy Podcast, coming later which features audio from the comics and other performers recorded live at the longest-running independent comedy showcase in St. Louis. Bare Knuckle Comedy.